Thank you. Thank you very much. Man, it's funny. I never. Uh, welcome. Welcome to Larry Wilmore, <laughs> Black on the Air. I never get to hear that theme song. Like, that's what it sounds like. <laughs> it's so weird. Uh, welcome to my podcast. I'm setting up some stuff right in front of you. Very excited because we have Robin Thede as my guest today. Very exciting, you guys. Robin's got a show coming out. Very excited about it. A little nightly show reunion we got here. How you guys doing? Okay. So I want you to guys to, like, if you have suggestions and all that stuff, please keep tweeting uh, suggestions for the show, stuff you want to see on the show, uh, guests you might be interested in. <laughs> I love it when people get mad at me, too. That's fun. Mary, uh, how come you didn't blah, blah, blah? I'm sorry. I was just talking. What am I supposed to do? But it's all good. I enjoy all of it. Well, any kind of interaction is good because we got to keep the conversation going, right? Right? What conversation, Larry? The conversation, you guys. We got to talk about this shit. That's why I'm here. We can talk about it. I don't have the answers. I don't have the right questions all the time. <laughs> but I do enjoy talking about it. All right. So a couple of things before I bring up Robin. I want to talk about Trump a little bit. The... Um, Yes, the mango Mussolini, as I call him. The orange Julius Caesar. Pretty good. Actually, you know, we had some pretty good names for this. I want to, here's what I want to do before we start out. I want to get a vote on what you think is, is the best name we have so far. Because people tweeted some really good ones. Okay. All right. So mango Mussolini, orange Julius Caesar, those are mine. All right. But um, we also have pumpkin Putin. That's pretty good. I like that one a lot. Yeah. It's got a nice, nice kind of ring to it. Uh, this one is one of my favorites. The Nectarine Noriega. That's pretty good, isn't it? That's got a, ooh, that's got a nice flow. Nectarine. I like that because Noriega was, he was such a cheap little punk. That's what I like about it, too. You know, I know exactly. That's, that's, it. that's Trump on that one. Um, oh, here's a good one. Papaya Papa Doc. That's fucking awesome, you guys. The papaya papa duck. That works on so many great levels. I love that one. That's great. The kumquat Qaddafi. Ooh. <laughs> nice use of the cues there. Very, and several people tweeted that one. That was very nice. I was very impressed by kumquat Qaddafi. Oh, this one is one of my favorites. The tangerine Idi Amin. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't he a cannibal or something, Idi Amin? He was so evil. The tangerine Idi Amin is fantastic. It's going to be hard to be that one. Uh, the Mauve Mouse Tongue. Mm, I don't know. Did I say that right? Mauve, Mauve, Mauve. Mauve. Uh, brothers can't say those kind of blended vowels. You know. <laughs> blended vowel. Very difficult. Mauve. Mauve Mouse Tongue. And the um, Apricot Adolf. Okay. Apricot Adolf, you, have, you can't leave Adolf out. What are you, you going to leave? Hitler, leave Hitler out of this? What, what are we? What are we, crazy? All right, so those are our choices right now. <laughs> this is how we're starting our morning, you guys. <laughs> we got Mango Mussolini, Pumpkin Putin, Orange Julius Caesar, Nectarine Noriega, Papaya Papadoc, uh, Kumquat Gaddafi, <laughs> Tangerine Idi Amin. Uh, I'm getting rid of my mouse tongue. I don't even like that one anymore. Uh, and Apricot Adolf. Okay. Let's go with uh, <laughs> Nectarine Noriega, Papaya Papa Doc, Tangerine Idi Amin. Let's go with those three. I do like Pumpkin Putin, too. That's pretty good. You know, but he's, yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> 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 All right, but we'll go with those three. Okay. All right, show of applause, Nectarine Noriega. Mm, okay. All right. Uh, Papaya Papa Doc. 
Ooh, got a couple of woos. That's good. And finally, the tangerine Idi Amin. Wow. Another shocking election result, you guys. <laughs> the tangerine Idi Amin. Very good. So, um, oh, also, we're, we're taping this on a Saturday. Come on in, guys. Taping this on a Saturday, and uh, I know all of, all of you guys joining me and wishing the best for everybody in the path of the hurricane and for the continued relief of all the people uh, from the previous hurricane. Trump in all of this, it's so fun. I hate to criticize the president, <laughs> you know. No, because, you know, it's the disaster thing. It's not supposed to be political, but I like seeing when he's in his disaster gear, you know. Like, because his disaster gear is like, I'm helping out the little people, but I can play golf at any time. Don't worry about it. Um, and all the rhetoric that comes out, even with this time, I think, did you guys see what Rush Limbaugh said? This is true, you guys. He called Hurricane uh, Irma, that's the one right now, right? He called it a liberal hoax. A, a hurricane is now a liberal hoax. What is wrong with these people? That is the, the height of insanity. And I think, I want to get this right. Oh, he said the press was hyping coverage of Hurricane Irma to, uh, to promote its climate change agenda. And it's a good thing they told Hurricane Irma about this ahead of time, too. Um, see, first of all, I mean, first of all, um, I mean, Limbaugh, not even to make fun of him, many people have bashed him. But, uh, so I'm not even going to cover that um, disingenuous fat fuck. Let's talk about... <laughs> Not to make fun of his way. I mean, some of it, look, I'll admit, CNN is more like the crisis news network. They love a crisis, right? I mean, they can't wait to have Anderson Cooper and Chris Cuomo, like, in their T-shirts, you know, flexing for us in the water and that kind of stuff. <laughs> oh, they, when that Malaysia plane went down, oh, CNN had an orgasm for, like, a year, right? <laughs> That's a CNN orgasm right there is, is that kind of crisis. But they're good. CNN is good at crisis. But, you, you know, they're, they love, it's disaster porn for them is what it is. They're, like, addicted to that type of porn. But CNN also does a good job, you know, with telling people where to go. There is a point to having the news covering that type of stuff. So I don't understand this kind of criticism. It just doesn't make sense to me. But it, what worries me is that it's kind of rooted in this whole just snottiness about anything that seems like it's coming from the left. And it's so hard to root out what some of these things is. So here's what I do for you guys. I love to come up with, with, uh, with distinctions, right? I love to categorize things. It's just one of my favorite things to do. So I wanted to give you these different ways that the truth is out there, that you can hear the truth, okay? There's misinformation, disinformation, fake news, and bullshit. Okay, so let's cover all those. Okay. All right, so misinformation. This is just information that is just wrong, and many times it's corrected later, right? So a lot of times out there, people just call it fake news, false news. It's really just misinformation. People are just getting shit wrong, right? Nothing wrong with that. We all know. But a lot of times that can ruin people's lives. A lot of bad things has happened with misinformation. Fine. Uh, disinformation, though, of course, is the intentional spreading of false information for ideological or political gain. Now, that's a lot of shit like the Soviet Union was involved in. I, I heard Facebook. Uh, <laughs> oh, did you hear this Facebook story? Where, and this is true. That's how Russia was doing some of its trolling was through these these uh, fake Facebook stories that everybody's aunt and uncle believes and they pass it on. That happened a lot during the election. That's disinformation or, or Trump trying to uh, uh, say that Obama was born in Kenya, right? That's disinformation, intentionally spreading false information. Or that he was a secret Muslim. Remember that one? How are you going to be a secret Muslim in the White House? 
going to sneak praying to Allah five times a day. It doesn't even make sense, right? That's one of my best stuff. Thank you very much. Any smear campaign disinformation, we know. Okay, fake news. So I wanted to come up with a definition of fake news so we can distinguish it from disinformation and misinformation, okay? Disinformation, false news. Fake news, to me, is information that does not conform to your bias, all right? It doesn't confirm your bias. That's what fake news is. So, for instance, if you believe the Earth is 6,000 years old, and there's a news report about dinosaurs, that is fake news, right? Doesn't confirm your bias, right? So that's basically what fake news is. All fake news is is labeling something that doesn't confirm your bias. So, that's, so anytime you hear the word fake news, I want to distinguish that from false news, stuff that is intentionally out there to just fuck you up, right? <laughs> but fake news is really just a political statement. It's just a way to say that I don't agree with that, and that's on the different side of the political spectrum. Because it's not just Trump that uses fake news. You'll hear different people use fake news, okay? All right, bullshit. This is my favorite one. Because <laughs> I want us to really understand what bullshit is, okay? And I thought about this for a long time. I'm like, how, what, how do you distinguish bullshit from all this other stuff, okay? And you can tell I love coming up with this stuff, you guys, okay? So this, to me, is what bullshit is. Is, <laughs> is when you're ingrained... Dramatic untruth is the tablecloth by which the dinner of discussion is placed upon. <laughs> All right? Go with me on this. Let me say it one more time. I know I'm choosing some bullshit words. <laughs> but when your ingrained dogmatic untruth is the tablecloth by which the dinner of discussion is placed upon. Okay. This is the height of so much discussion in politics, in our discourse, and everything. That's why it's hard to agree in everything, because it's just rooted in bullshit, guys. The tablecloth itself is made of bullshit. Give an example. Like CNN, their tablecloth is entertainment. News is entertainment is their tablecloth. That's why so much of the discussions on CNN is bullshit. I mean, even when you're entertained by it, which is what they want, by the way, even when you agree with some of it, it mostly is bullshit because their agenda is only to entertain. Fox News, I believe the Fox News tablecloth is that the, and you watch this whenever you watch them or people on, the, on that side, that the left it has an all-out assault on America and that white people are the center of that assault. I swear to God, and if you're white and you feel that way, thank you, Larry, I knew something was going on. <laughs> but it's true, in all of their reporting, that is the tablecloth, and everything that comes out of that that's why it sounds like bullshit, because that's the tablecloth that they put down, right? Because it is bullshit. And now for politicians, their tablecloth to me is to get reelected. That's why I generally don't trust politicians. I think people put way too much trust in politicians. Oh, Obama, hope and change, save us. Fuck you, Obama's a politician. Stop it. <laughs> right? He's not a messiah, for Christ's sakes, you know. Trump going to make America great again. No, he's not. And I disagree with your premise anyway, right? <laughs> but this is why, um, so everything that comes out of a politician's mouth is bullshit. Just for that reason. It's rare that you can believe anything that a politician says. Sometimes, yes. Sometimes you're on the right side of it. It lines up, granted, you know. But that's why I like to listen to both sides and ferret out and get that truth for myself. But the reason why I'm bringing this up is because of this whole climate issue. I am sick and tired of politicians being the ones telling us about climate change and what's going on in the world. I'm sick of it. 
because on both sides, they have an agenda. Their tablecloth is laid down, and all we get is fucking bullshit about this, and nothing ever gets done about it, all right? That's why I'm bringing it up. If you're on the right or the left, and you want to talk about climate change, I want a scientist over there, and I want you to stop talking, bring the scientist over. I want to hear from that scientist. You shut the fuck up. <laughs> they finished speaking. Thank you, scientists. Now talk about taxes or whatever the fuck you want to talk about with your bullshit. So that's my, that's my opinion, guys. And that's the way that you want to look at the truth. So there you go. Thank you very much. That's it. Bullshit. All right. All right. <laughs> that's enough of that bullshit. All right. I'm very excited to bring uh, my guest here today. This woman is so talented, so smart, and one of the funniest people that I know and has a new show uh, coming on BET. And I believe it's called The Rundown with Robin Thede. Ironically, that is her name. Everybody, please welcome Robin Thede. Hey, everybody. It's Robin Thede, everybody. <laughs> I learned from you. I put my name in the title. Yeah, that's yeah. how you have to do it. You have that's to only, do it that way. It's that's the, the only way you can remember the show. And it's the only way they can't replace you. <laughs> well, <laughs> Or it makes it harder. It makes yes, it harder. Yes. <laughs> no, they can cancel you. We found you know, that. They can do whatever the fuck they want, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Robin. That's true. <laughs> you know what? You're right. That's fair. That's, that's really how it <laughs> works. Yeah. How are you? Congratulations, I'm so good. Thank you way. so much. I yeah. am so excited for you. Thank um, you. First, I want to know all about your new show. So it is okay. called The Rundown, right? It's called The Rundown with Robin Thede. That's right. And Chris Rock, well, helped you uh, create it or is that what uh, it is? No, I created it by myself, but right. Chris Rock came on very quickly. Um, we're working with Jax Media, who also does Full Frontal with Sam B, Broad right. City, Inside Amy Schumer. Mm -hmm. So they uh, agreed to make the pilot. We called Chris and told him two seconds of what the show was and he was like, I'm, I'm in, in, I'm in. <laughs> yep. Um, we've worked together for years and he's just been a mentor right. for me and so he jumped on board yep. and uh, we created the show and we created a pilot last fall, sent mm -hmm. out all the networks and BET you know was like let's do this so they yeah. were the they were the best choice for us i think for what we're trying to do right which is a mix of politics and pop culture nice. um and and because we are on black entertainment television not sure if you know what bet stands for it might be shocking <laughs> to some people why is there black entertainment <laughs> television black what if there was a white entertainment television <laughs> there oh, is you it mean is cbs <laughs> uh... <laughs> the entire rest of your cable lineup yeah exactly people always say they that always mostly. do it they're already hitting right. me with that but uh, uh -huh. so it's so it's politics and pop culture from Great. a black lady's point of view, black and, and from a black lady's point of view, mm -hmm. but also told uh, for the black community. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. but everyone's welcome to watch, and you should watch um, because you're going to hear stories and opinions like you're not going to get on CBS or right. on on other stations. So. I saw some of the ads. Uh or you have a couple of trailers out yeah. right now, and you're on a unicorn? I'm on a unicorn. I'm on a black <laughs> unicorn. <laughs> is it a black unicorn? It's a black unicorn. Hmm. Is that a metaphor for anything? Robbie? Maybe. <laughs> it's not that deep. Yeah. It's yeah. like, oh, she's also one, because she's the only one out there. You see yourself as a unicorn? No. Well, the mm. network thought it would be cute for me to uh -huh. be a unicorn, and I didn't disagree. Mm. Um <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's fun, right? Like, I think there's this thing in the zeitgeist where everybody's like, I'm a unicorn because I'm one of, the I'm the right. only one. And I'm like, that's not the definition of a unicorn. <laughs> what is the definition of a unicorn? Why, why have a we... A mythical creature? Yeah. I, don't, I think because it's so supposed to be rare. But I'm like, again, yeah. unicorns aren't rare. They don't exist. <laughs> but, but that's okay. You guys get it. How did they get the horn, like, in the middle? Oh, actually, we oh. were... 
Is that or is that a different creature? That is a unicorn. Right? That is a unicorn. Okay. Um, how ours got it was very gently and following all PETA friendly rules, and the horse was treated better than me. No, and, not your unicorn. Oh, oh, okay. Right? I know you didn't have an actual unicorn. Oh, oh, do you? I was having. Oh, maybe you do have a unicorn. I don't know. Maybe I did. <laughs> but uh, and you, I, you're going to cover politics and pop culture, not yes. I know you know you're interested in politics and stuff too. But I love how much you love pop culture. Yeah, it's so it's so infectious. <laughs> how did you get such a love of pop culture? Did that start as a kid? Yeah, or? I just think from having no friends, like growing <laughs> up, you know, no friends and just you know basic uh-huh. network television. Right. Now I think I think I'm a product of um, as you know I'm incredibly young, and um, <laughs> it's just what we millennials do. Uh-huh. You know, we just love pop culture. Right. Uh, you know, for when me, you were in grade school in the <laughs> arts, Robin, um. <laughs> I just had my eighth grade graduation. Yeah. I just keep getting y- ridiculously younger, just yeah. unbelievably younger. No, you know, I think my obsession with pop culture has only grown since mm-hmm. the my obsession with politics has grown. You know, right. I always say when I saw uh, that Trump's first meeting after he got elected was with Kanye, I was like, oh, okay, that's the world we live in now. Like, right. there's there's no and Steve light. Harvey even. and yeah. Steve Harvey, who now regrets it, yeah. uh, came out this past week and said that his wife told him not to do it and he thought like a man and went anyway um (laughs) whatever yeah but uh yeah so i've just i I think there's no light between the two anymore i think Mm -hmm. what a kardashian does and what a trump does is people care equally about so that's what my show will. we have the ultimate nadir of pop culture and politics exactly exactly and you're you come kind of from a political family. Yes, right? I do. Your mom's in politics. My mom's in politics. She is mm-hmm. in the House of Representatives in Iowa in her fifth term. Yeah. Rep Thede. And what yeah. is her name? Phyllis Thede. Phyllis. I, I, well, I have to call her Rep Thede. That's yeah. how she prefers. Or, she or makes you call her that? Yeah, Rep yeah. Mom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's addressed me by my title. I earned this. That's hilarious. Yeah. So. Yeah. And was she interested in politics when you were a kid? You know, I would say in local politics for sure mm-hmm. in a in a from an education route. My parents are both um in education and my mom mm-hmm. worked with the teachers aid unions um and uh worked in the school system and then when I went off to college she started working with the DNC, with the state DNC mm-hmm. and then uh ran her own election the same ran her first campaign the same year that Obama was running and they both got elected on the same night and wow. they were both first. So, so he wrote her coattails yeah. in a Yeah, yeah, he really did. He really did. <laughs> she she had change and hope. He had yeah. that hope and change. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's so it's really cool. So my my parents are both really involved. My dad mm-hmm. ran a failed state senate campaign really? and uh, only, only failed in that he didn't get elected. It was an awesome campaign. But right. uh, so yeah, so they're both really politically active. How and, long ago did he run for the senate? Oh gosh, maybe eight years ago. Oh okay, recently. Fairly recently, yeah. 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 So they said, no, we're going to take it. one theory at a time. One theory right? at a time. And only yeah. the black one. Right. Yeah, it was yeah, weird. Because your parents are mixed. Yeah, not yeah, your my, parents aren't mixed, but well, no, you have. <laughs> yeah. My daddy white and uh-huh. my mama black. Uh-huh. black. So, so what was it like when you were growing up? Did, how did you, did you wrestle with identity growing up? Because a lot no. of people, uh, you didn't at all? Yeah. No. Were you like, no, did you consider yeah, did you consider yourself mixed? Did you consider yourself, no. I'm black and I'm white? Or did you say, no. motherfuckers, I'm black? Motherfuckers, I'm black. <laughs> because, let me tell you why. Mm-hmm. My parents, and my father said this to me early early on. He was like, the world is going to see you with your big crazy, because back then I had big crazy hair and yeah. I loved it. And, uh, uh, and, and they embraced that. And they were like, 
you're, you know, you have color to your skin and you have big, crazy hair. Like, people are already going to judge you anyway. Like, we're not going to give you some sort of crisis and be like, oh, but we don't know what you are. It was just like, no, the world sees you as black. You are black. Um, your, and dad, your dad said My this. dad said that. He knows that how the world was going to interpret our appearance. Mm-hmm. And When he um, said crazy hair, did your mom go... No, <laughs> he didn't. Say, I'm <laughs> paraphrasing. He would have never said that. He said your beautiful hair. Yeah. Um, of uh, yeah. But but no, yeah. I think, you know, listen, I grew up with um, uh, my mom from the west side of Chicago. Like there was no distinction. I was raised right. by a black woman, so I don't have any confusion about being a black woman. Right. Um, but then again, that being said, I embraced my father's heritage and my German ancestry. And, you know, that's all great, too. I don't really oh, like German. Yeah, I don't really like Wiener Schnitzel or any of that stuff, but I prefer soul food. Yeah, it was just never a question. It was never something I really struggled with. Did you ever have problems with other kids, like, treating you a certain way? Oh, yeah, that was the Uh other thing. I'm getting called, can I curse on here? Can I say racial epithets? Say whatever the fuck Yeah, I mean, I got called, well, I got called a a nigger, obviously, because we all have those. But the thing that really messed me up was I got called a Sambo. In like third grade. I'm like, wait, something was worse than nigger? Well, yeah. Oh, it was only worse because I was not familiar with Uncle Tom's Cabin at eight years old. Uh-huh. And I went home and I was like, Mom, I know they call me the N-word, but what's this? This she said this with even more hate. Um and <laughs> that Sambo was? Yeah, and then we read Uncle but in Tom's all fairness, Cabin. There was a Sambo's restaurant at the time. I don't know if you got in was California, there? yeah. There was a chain of restaurants was called Was there really? There was a chain of restaurants called Sambo's. It was like a Denny's, but oh more racist. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of the Grand Slam breakfast, they had the Grand Wizard breakfast. Come on, oh, you guys. Come very on. good. Come on. Very up good. Up top. Up top, very everybody. Very good. That was too easy. Low-hanging fruit. I love it. I love it. Uh, low-hanging fruit. I saw what yeah, you did so, there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, nice. got a little dark. Low-hanging uh, strange fruit. Yeah, yeah, strange yes, fruit. There got we go. Got All right. It. See? Yeah. This hey. is comedy writing, you guys. This is how it works. Yeah. Yeah, so I didn't have any issue with it, but you know what? Both of wait, both, wait. So yeah. Sambo, no, don't drop. Yeah, the Sambo. so I got called a Sambo. So somebody called you a Sambo. Yeah, and you thought it. You Jenny didn't Thompson. Know what that was? Yeah. You remember her name? Of course. Right. Um. What, what uh, was the context? Do you remember? Yeah, we. She. I had a toy. She didn't want me to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so she was like, "Give it back! Give it back, you Sambo!" And I was like, <laughs> "What?" <laughs> there was so much hate right. in her voice that I was yeah. like, oh, this is something I should be offended by for sure. Right. Like once you yeah. realize you were a Sambo, you would then give the toy back. Well, I right. guess. Right. But instead, I just threw it at her and left. Right. And then and then my mom always uses used those moments. Both of my parents did as a teachable mm-hmm. moment. And the books were always involved. Right. And right. she was like, let's read the book and understand. And that just pissed me off even more really? <laughs> as a little eight year old. But yeah, but 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 it was good. They never sugar-coated things and they never mm-hmm. sugar- sugar-coated race relations. We grew up in a trailer park, right? With like right. methods. In Iowa? In, in Iowa. Mm-hmm. A trailer so, park. What was that like? What I kind mean, of, were you like in a small trailer? Mm, was, uh, it was not a double wide. People right. always ask. <laughs> right. Single wide trailer. Mm-hmm. And you have two, you have a brother and a sister? No, two sisters. You have two sisters. One older, sure. one younger. Right. And uh, yeah, it was crazy. I mean, they were like meth heads. I knew meth heads way before meth was cool. Uh-huh. Um, I recognize that look. Were people selling meth in oh, the trailer? Yeah. Oh, wow. oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we had people, uh, dude, like, murdered on our steps. Really? Like, it was, yeah. On your was, steps? Like, yeah, yeah. Why am I laughing? Wow. Um, how how no, no, old yeah, were you? Yeah, it was rough. How old were you when this happened? I was little. I was little. Um, uh, I don't know. Maybe uh-huh. nine, ten. Wow. Yeah. So what went through? Wait, was, like, the body there? Did you guys come out? Yeah, well, we saw the blood the next morning. My parents, really? he was banging on the door because he was like, 
this is really sad. This is a really awful no, story. No, I've never heard this story. I know. Oh, my parents are going to listen and be like, why are you telling this? Yeah. There was a dude being stabbed to death from a oh prostitute God. meth head's boyfriend from next door, her pimp or somebody was killing her boyfriend uh -huh. outside the door. And he was like, let me in, let me in. If anybody's ever been in a trailer, you know that you can like easily kick in the door. Right. But for some reason, he couldn't get in and my parents didn't let him in. They just called the police, but he was dead by the time the police came. Oh my so God. I only saw like the blood on the steps the next uh -huh. day. But yeah, somebody had been murdered. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's not funny. It's not funny, but it is kind of awesome because... It, I, awesome was the word that was yeah, going through my head because, as you were saying it. Because yeah. look at me now. And I didn't become yeah. a horrible person. No. And now you always <laughs> beat and kick the shit out of meth. <laughs> no, but, but I will say this. It made me really strong, right? Like, it made mm -hmm. me like, okay, like, look, everybody in this room probably grew up with some crazy shit that they saw. Even if you had money or you didn't have money. Like, everybody right. sees crazy shit. That's what I know and that's what I've learned talking to people is like, there's nobody here walking around who doesn't have a crazy ass personal story mm -hmm. and so my story is is different than other people's but it doesn't make me special right. and I think that that's something that I try to communicate in my comedy too is uh -huh. like you know none of what I've been through um uh makes me any better or more deserving than anyone else but at right. the same time it makes me more empathetic for human life yeah. and for and for decency of people so did you know you wanted to be a comedian when you were a kid, did, did you have a sense of wanting to be in showbiz or did you have other ideas? Since your parents yeah. are teachers, right. I mean, it's completely different. So they were, but my dad had a really deep love for comedy. Oh, really? And I think I told you this when Robin Williams passed. He told me I was named after Robin Williams and I didn't oh. know that. Yeah. Wow. And so, but I knew that growing mm -hmm. up, my dad would always let us stay up to see Weekend Update on SNL. Mm -hmm. We could always stay up that late on Saturdays. And 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 then sometimes my mom would go to bed it's early. It's funny that the German had the sense of humor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is funny, Robin. Right, watch, right. watch, watch, watch. <laughs> I'm just assuming your father had that accent. Yeah, 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 for <laughs> sure, for sure. You will watch, yeah, yeah, you will yeah. laugh. Yep, for sure. That's exactly it. Um, but yeah, so he used to let me stay up because um, when you don't have cable, right, you have the rabbit ears on the TV. Yeah. The only thing that comes on after the local news back then was like, like, um, like Caroline's had a show right, that, right, on right. public access. Sure, and, like, I remember those, they would show yeah. old stand up. Um, what well, was new then? But like they would mm -hmm. show stand ups and right, like Caroline's comedy. Caroline right, at right, night, right, right. Evening at the Improv. Right, that kind of stuff. Exactly. Right. So we would stay up and and we would watch that and and so he instilled a love of comedy in me really early that I didn't mm -hmm. even know he was instilling. You know, it was just really? kind of time that we shared together. Uh -huh. And then and then by the time I got older, I was already you know exploring all sorts of albums and stuff that came yeah. out before I was Did you have any born. favorites growing up? Like yeah. people you looked up to or emulated? Well, I had to discover Richard Pryor secretly. Oh, yeah. Because I, I wasn't too, allowed. Actually. Yeah, I had to yeah, like yeah. secretly. What, were you like sneaking? Oh, completely. We yeah. did it in our neighborhood. We yeah. would have a Richard Pryor album that we would play in. I would just be reading the words saying, oh my God, what is, look, some of it for me was like, what does that mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I was watching specials in hindsight at that point, uh -huh. right? Oh, so, okay, right, right. For yeah, me, it was albums, right. And all this stuff. But yeah, right. and, and like, and even Eddie Murphy and stuff. Like, I had to see, I had to sneak over to friends' house to watch and stuff like that because right. I wasn't, well, we didn't have cable, first of all, but I wouldn't have definitely not been allowed to watch it. Mm -hmm. But, and then, um, like, booging then, your butt. How do you get booging your butt? <laughs> and what is that? <laughs> Um, and then like watching like Comic View on BET and like, I just, mm -hmm. yeah, I just always had a love for it. I always had a love for it and I was always fascinated by it. And but then I went mm -hmm. to Second City. So I started doing sketch and improv cause that was where I thought, cause in Living Color, in Living Color really, your work really did shape the trajectory of my career though. Cause in Living mm -hmm. Color was like, oh, okay. 
I don't want to do stand up. I want to do that. Oh, interesting. Were you yeah. in college at when you were in college at the time? When were you? Um, I was obviously like five. Right, you were five, so. <laughs> but um, you went to Northwestern when you went. To I college, did. Right? I went to Northwestern. Yep. What, what did you study there? Broadcast journalism and African American studies. That makes sense for improv. It also makes sense for my show I'm doing. If you think <laughs> yes, about it. it does. It actually. Yeah. It's funny how you can choose things. I know. That you in. I and know. did you do improv in college? Or you yes, did it I had a group college? called Out the Box, which is still there. They're still out doing the box. sketch comedy. Yep, Out the nice. Box. Yep. And we um, we did a lot of original sketch comedy, and uh-huh. and uh, it was a big hit um, on the campus. And then I got scouted by Second City. And then as soon as I graduated Northwestern, I went to Second City, Chicago. How long were you at Second City? Um, I was there to finish the conservatory program, so I think just under two years. Uh-huh. And then I went out to L.A. with a one-woman show. And Wow. Yeah. Now, I met you, you were in the Elite Delta Force, Yes, right? Elite Delta that Force was, 3. Uh, it was a group of... It was a sketch oh, group. It was three? There, there well, were there two others before There that, weren't or? three of us. Right. The name was a misnomer. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, there were like nine of us in the group. Right. Um, oh, you were saying, that, oh, we were the was third one? Was it the one? third incarnation of the I don't know. It's just a dumbass name. You know when you're in a sketch group, you uh-huh. just have a stupid-ass name. It's just yeah. there's no reason for it. That's when I first met Robin. I, yes, years ago. Your whole, uh, the whole group was so funny. Yeah. And I was struck well, by, no, yeah. go ahead. I was just going to say really quickly, that group, fun fact, I don't know if you know this. Yeah, I think you know this. That group actually was an all-female iteration from, yeah. a, and the original group was called Cleo's Apartment. It was me, Wyatt Sinek. <laughs> right, um, yeah. Uh, Diala Riddle and Bashir Salahuddin. So if you don't know their names, they're incredible. They were on Fallon. They're, they have a pilot with Comedy Central. Diallo's on Marlon right now. Anyway, um, and uh, and a bunch of other guys, plus the ladies I went on to form Elite Delta Force 3 with. But then they all went and got jobs. They got Fallon. They got The Daily Show. And all the women were like, uh, what about us? So yeah. we formed uh, an all-African-American female sketch group. Uh-huh. So, yeah. it was, so it was formed out of spite. Out of spite. Yes. We good. were very bitter that That's none of us had been picked up by are, uh, any of the other. Yeah, black women were not in vogue yet in comedy. Did that kind of hit you at the time? Were you like, well, what, what is this all Fuck about? Fuck yes. Uh-huh. We were pissed. We were like, we should be having the same opportunities as everybody else. And right. like, we were barely getting into the stage where people were letting us audition for... Um, you know, only one of us at that time had auditioned for SNL and like, mm-hmm. you know, we were doing the same amount and the guys will tell you this too. Like we were all performing at the same level, but it was just like, yeah, it was really tough. It's funny how comedy and Hollywood, people think it's like this liberal bastion of open ideas, but there's so much push all the time for the next wave of whoever's been shut out to just get in that door. Right. And, yeah. It's, I think yeah. it's been a concerted effort, right? I mean, we always, talk about this all the time. Effort. Right. Yeah. I mean, right now, um, I'm so excited. I've worked my whole career just to keep that door Correct. open. Correct. Come on in, no, you guys. Come true. on in. You have. You have at every stage. No. And we thank try, you. Try. Try. Yes. Try. It's hard, you guys. It's hard. No, it's so true. And, and, and I think now there's a wave of people of color in late night that's happening. But it's mm-hmm. only through what you did at the Nightly Show and the things that we're continuing to push forward. And people like... Sam B making it important to have women and people of color on television and, you know, Amber Ruffin on Seth Meyers and mm-hmm. ladies on SNL, you know, it's been so and Leslie. And now the daily show has Dulce Sloan, their new correspondent who just started this week. So mm-hmm. there's, there's all these black ladies in late night and little old me with the show, you know, it's good. Yeah. It's how good. important is that to you? 
the representation and it's and, yeah it's mm -hmm. critical um you know that i've been working for a couple of years to pass this bill uh with the new york film and tax credit to yeah yeah that's true so so we passed you want to uh, talk about that a little yeah, bit? yeah 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 real quick it passed the it passed the assembly uh in new york state this summer and we're waiting for governor cuomo to sign it mm -hmm. but basically yeah. yeah basically there's a massive new york film and tax uh film and tv tax credit and we basically allocated point mm -hmm. zero or point nine percent not even a full percentage to um, as a credit for productions in New York um, State that hire women and people of color as writers and directors. That's so great. yeah, and it's not just in late night; it's in it's in all forms of entertainment. Mm -hmm. And we're pushing to get more women and more people of color behind the scenes for all these shows because without our voices, you don't get authentic stories. Yeah. And in late night, you know, there were I think three or four black women writers before the nightly show, and then after we came on, there were you know seven or eight. And then after we went away, and went <laughs> right. back to three. I know. And so now good. with my show, we're back up to eight. Nice. So, you know, I, I, I double it every time I get on a new show. That's and right. I want to I want to keep that number higher. It's like I can only hire so many people. So I, I figured I, I could enact legislation that would do it for me. <laughs> you know, it's easy. Just just we need Robin bill. working on the Dream Act next. <laughs> That's my next one. Um, it's so inspirational. I remember when when we interviewed Robin for for the job, you blew us away. You were so I mean, to me, it was so funny. I mean, having just had an experience of you as a performer and not seeing that side of you, too, was really good. But then you told me later that you felt that job was preordained for you. And yeah. I love that. Yes. But I love that that was in you, you know, oh. that, that type of thing. Like you had already moved in your mind to New York. Correct. And, so yeah. I was in L.A. and I was a head writer at the Queen Latifah show. Mm -hmm. And I was ending the first season there. And I was in a I was in a three year contract there. And at the end of the first season, I think. In, when did they announce your show? Maybe April, May? It was, yeah, May yeah, of May. 2014. Right, May of 2014. Mm -hmm. uh, we're done May 30th or something like that at Queen Latifah with the first season. And so I called Queen Latifah and the executives at Sony mm -hmm. and I was like, I'm not coming back. I'm going to work on the nightly show. Right. <laughs> they were like, oh, do you have the job? And I was like, not yet, but I will. Um, <laughs> and I told my agents, I was like, I'm right. moving to New York, so let's start you know, looking at places. Like, do you guys know where I should live? They hey, were Larry, like, this is Robin. Um, yeah. Did you know we're working together? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I sent you a message on Facebook, but I don't know if you ever saw it. And right. I, was like, I was like, I'm coming to be your head writer. <laughs> um, and didn't get a response, weird. Right. And then- um, I don't know what happened. Odd. And then, and then, and then it took a few months but I, I turned down, people knew that I had left because there was a press release. They knew I had left Queen Latifah and so I got a bunch of job offers and I turned them all down. I said, nope, 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 nope. I went to Peru and climbed Machu Picchu like over the summer. I remember, remember that. that? That's right. That's a true and story. Then, yeah. It's a true story. <laughs> and then I got back and my right. agents called and they said, you got your interview. They want to yeah. see you for the head writer position at the nightly show, at the Minority Report, which is what yeah, it was called back then. Yeah, it was called, called the Minority then. Report. That was the first and time. So, and so I was like, yeah, duh, of course they do. And they laughed at me at every stage. <laughs> they laughed at me at every Even stage. Even though it was pre it was, not, it was not a shtick. I wasn't doing a bit. I yeah. knew I was going to go work on the show. And so I had about three weeks to prepare for the meeting because he and um, the showrunner were coming, Larry and the showrunner were coming to L.A. to interview a couple folks. Mm -hmm. And so I created a binder full of all of the things I would do at the show. It yeah. had Larry's picture. Remember, it was called The Minority Report. <laughs> so it had Larry's picture photoshopped over Tom Cruise from that movie. <laughs> on the cover and it was I don't know 20 or 30 pages of like what writers I'd hire what bitch I what bits I would pitch did you say bitch well, yeah I did yeah. I said what bitch <laughs> let's move past it what um, bitches I would what bitches I would hire yeah. what um whatever he needed 
How I would make his job easier. There was a page that was literally how I will make your job easier. Which, by the way, if you ever want a job, tell people how you'll make their job easier. <laughs> um, but yeah, but I came in and um, was nervous as all shit. And, uh, but you, you couldn't have been kinder, but I knew that you didn't know me in that sense mm -hmm. because you literally only knew me as a performer, as a performer at that right. point. You knew, mm -hmm. I think you knew I wrote some of the sketches that you had seen, but mm -hmm. you know, I had to prove that I could not only write for you, but that I could lead that team. Right. And so that was nerve wracking, but you made me feel very comfortable and you wrote a plus at the top of my packet uh, before I left. <laughs> that's great. Well, I still have it, by the way. I remember. Do you? Oh, yeah. And I don't keep paper, and I that's still have so it. So funny. I remember people asking us at the time. So, do you guys do a blind method of with your writers and hiring? Oh, right. and I said, no. I hired a black woman on purpose. Yeah. To be the head yep. writer. Well, people don't understand that it's just another uh, method by which people can be kept out. Absolutely. This blind thing, because before it was a conscious or unconscious decision not to include people. Right. Right. You know, but then when you do it blind, it's just another reason not to do something on purpose, not right. to be not to be purposeful in your actions. Right. You know, there's nothing wrong with looking at scripts, you know, in that manner. But you also have to make an effort to include people. Absolutely. And like and, and part of including the way it works in showbiz is you won't get sent scripts from everybody unless you ask for. That's it what I was going to say. So that's when, why blind like, doesn't work. So that's why blind doesn't work, because. Blind submissions, they'll just give you who they think should be on your show. That's how agents operate. So you have to say, stop it, motherfucker. Yes. Well, you know? a lot of times, too, what I find, and you know this as well, agents don't represent writers of color, especially in the, in the late night mm -hmm. space. So we ended up hiring a lot of writers for the nightly show in the beginning right. who were not represented. Yes. That's right. Because we read 450 packets for the show. Every single one I laid my eyes on and made notes on. Yeah. It drove me cross-eyed. But it was worth mm -hmm. it because everybody knew that they had a shot. I did the same thing with my show this summer. And it was really important for Larry as the leader to show that that was intentional and to show that it was important. Like, I'm telling you, so many of us owe so much to you. No, you're Seriously. very kind. But actually, I'll go back. You One know, person it's... clapped, Larry. No, that I means know. something. <laughs> that means something. No, one person. I don't want if you can make claps. one person clap, Larry, you've if done I, your job. I, right. If I've entertained one person. If you've entertained Wait, that's one, all person. one person. That's what Bernie um, Mac used to say. You know that. He said, treat him like you're performing to a whole crowd, even if there's only one person. That's true. But, um, but I've always believed it helps all of us when we're all included. You yes. Know? And people have treated me that way. I've had a lot of great mentors along the way. It's weird because you told me you had none and that you hated everyone you had ever worked with. Well, both of those things are true. Yeah. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and it's fun to hear different voices. You know, that's how, I think that's how you push forward in creativity yeah. is by getting different voices at the table. And it's it's not just a racial thing, too. It, it's even, it's a gender thing. Yes. It's, it's a political. It's an age thing. Yeah, it's a political writers, thing. Younger it's, writers, political, yep. It's right and left. It's all of those things. Point of view takes on so many different forms. Yeah. but And that's something that we tried to foster in that room. A hundred percent. And yeah. it's also, you don't know what you're missing until you see it. Yeah. You know, with a lot of our writers, I think at the nightly show, it was like, we'd be surprised by what would come in those scripts yeah. pleasantly. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, it's just, it's cool. I think you have to, you, and you want to be challenged, right? I'm learning that lesson from you now. Mm -hmm. I, you're a little, I have a little Larry on my shoulder every day at work because I hear it. I hear those lessons that you mm -hmm. taught me for years. And I hear like, you know, listen to that opinion, challenge yourself. Maybe you don't think that way about something. Learn those things right. from these people, you know? So it's, it's important yeah. that your writer's room is not homogenous. Yes, it's true. I always said, um, 
the reason why I always called myself a passionate centrist, and it wasn't a political statement, it was more a point of view statement. I said the reason why is because half the time I disagree with myself. <laughs> right. It's true. <laughs> yeah, which I really mean by that is that my opinions mean nothing if facts prove them wrong. Like I have to be willing right. to That's drop right. my opinions if facts are otherwise. Otherwise, I really am an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Which I may be that is anyway. Not right? true. No, but That's you. I, I know am, what you're if, saying. Though. If a fact is in my face and I have a different opinion, I have to look at that fact. Right. And the only way you can do that is by bringing in all kinds of information, yes. you know, for things. Yeah. But I believe that's really true in comedy too, more than ever. You know. I think so, and yeah. also things can surprise you. Things yes, can surprise exactly. you about how funny they are or different angles Completely. on stories. You don't want to do your gut instinct because your gut instinct yeah. has already been tweeted. Right. You know, so you want to do something that that shocks people or that interests people or makes them look at something a yeah. different way. That's one of the challenges I found, uh, especially in the late night realm, is that people, are, by the way, the internet is hilarious. It's really funny. People and now are, I'm competing with black Twitter. Yes, yes. Why did I do this? I'm I mean, competing with black Twitter, the funniest yes. comedy source in the world. Right. Like when... Uh, when Jon Stewart first started uh, The Daily Show, when he was done, there was no competition for no. that space at all. No. Fuck Jon Stewart, you guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I love Jon. Come on, stop it. I'm sure he listens to this, right? He might be. <laughs> Please welcome Jon Stewart, ladies and gentlemen. Right. No, that'd be awesome. No, but Jon was, was great because you knew when you were listening to Jon, you were hearing something special that nobody else was right. in that space. Right. Remember, Letterman was in Late Night. It was Leno. There was nobody else doing it. And... The internet wasn't that active no. in terms of commenting in that space. You no, know? And nobody talked politics like that. Nobody Not had like an, that. an opinion right. that, that hard. Right. Yeah, nobody was going to do And then that. a lot of the news started copying what The Daily Show Correct. was doing, which Correct. was interesting. And now you have all these late night shows doing it and Twitter and Facebook. And Twitter is funny. And they'll get to a joke. Like during the day and you're writing, Twitter already did this joke. Yep. You know? yep. Which is why I had to think differently when I was creating this show. Yeah. Because you can't just do what everybody else is doing and right. say, well, I'm a black lady, so it's it's different. It's no. like, no, because, you know. But the nice thing is on BET, too, like, I don't have to tell my audience that Trump is bad. We didn't vote for him. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't have to I don't have to convince black people. Black people still voted for Obama in the last yeah, election. Yeah, yeah, right, we right. still voted for We wrote in Obama, <laughs> Michelle. Um, <laughs> wish. With Beyonce as her vice president. Who am right. I kidding? Beyonce would be no one's vice president. She is the president. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, Beyonce has done more for the Houston uh, flood victims than Trump did. She's out there giving out food this weekend and hugging babies. I mean, yeah. literally, like, you know, I don't know. Let me not get started on Trump. I took us down that road. I'm sorry. That's okay. Well, what was the, do you have any memories of the nightly show? What was your toughest obstacle there? I don't remember anything. Is it all a blur? What was my right. toughest obstacle? Yeah. Leaving on October, August 18th or whatever the last day was. Mm -hmm. It was awful. It right. was Effing awful. I yeah, mean, I can know I can Believe curse, me, thanks but, yeah. for opening up that wound again. <laughs> Appreciate it. It was I awful. Put it right no, over there. None of us and were I, ready. That's why I only look like this. <laughs> only goes that far. None yeah. of us were ready to go. No. We were so excited about covering the election. We were like, oh my God, this yeah. November is coming up. We're really going to make our stamp. You know, listen. I called it electus interruptus. Yes, yeah. absolutely. But mm. any, any late night show worth its salt is not good until its third season. I challenge you to look at any of the first three seasons, except, well, except for John Oliver and Sam B. But any daily, <laughs> they're a weekly. That's different. You have more time to yeah. be good. Um, but a daily, the challenge of making a daily show is something the likes of which most people have never experienced. Every second of your day is filled and it has to be good. Like what, mm -hmm. you, what you put out there every night has to be great. 
And I think any show needs a couple of seasons to really get on its feet. But I think at the nightly show, what we were able to do in the two seasons that we had was remarkable. It really was. It really was. Do you have any uh, favorite memories of sketches or things that we did there or anything? Favorite memories. Oh God, I have to think about it. My, my, what was yours? My biggest, be, well, yeah. my biggest memory is how much joking we did backstage. <laughs> You know, and just yes. making each other laugh. Like Rory Albanese, yeah. who was a... It's an insane person. Rory is insane. Yeah. And Rory and Robin together is insanity like you've never yeah, seen before. Yeah, that's true. You guys are like comedy cousins when you got together. Yeah. I remember yeah. he was in a dashiki for a cut, the sketch <laughs> that we cut. And right. I was so upset that it got cut because he was really excited about wearing a dashiki. Yeah, like, I'm sure. You've never seen joy until you see a white dude put on a dashiki yeah. for the first time. And Rory has no filter and no ability to know that things are offensive. Right. Either. So it started, yeah. he started like walking with more swag and like <laughs> calling people jive turkeys. No, but like it was sweet. <laughs> It was sweet and not offensive. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't going to go out on Halloween like that. And we yeah. put him in the dashiki. He didn't ask for it. No, so. I know. He was a good yeah. sport. Yeah. No, it was fun. I mean, I think, you know, that that we we had so much fun. Like, we used so many of your random skills that I don't think people truly appreciate. Like, the fact that you're a real magician. Oh, okay. That is oh, my that favorite memory. memory. Okay, now I remember. Thank you. Okay. I do magic. So, I do sleight of hand magic. He's so How much of a nerd are you, Larry? Yeah, exactly. he's a huge nerd. Like, you're into science, magic. Are you really a comedian? Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. He just learned how to tell jokes so it could right, be the exactly. transitions between so his I can magic trick tricks. Everybody. Uh, <laughs> that is your biggest trick. I'm tricking everybody yeah. right now. Yeah. So he, okay, so it's Larry's, don't say anything. So it's Larry's birthday. <laughs> it's Larry's birthday. And not we're like, today. not today. Right, right. Coming up though. But right. um, so it's Larry's birthday at work. And I'm like, what can we do for Larry's birthday? Right. Because birthdays had become a big out of control thing at the show. And I don't like a lot of attention. He does not like a lot of attention. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm like, okay. Like, why'd you have a show, asshole? Right, 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 right. I know, I know. It's fair. Right. So, so I'm like, what can we do that will be both awesome for the staff, but embarrassing as shit for Larry? And I was like, oh, let's hire a magician. Oh, God. So we do all this research and we're like, it can't be a shitty magician. Like, it's got to be an actual, like, bona fide magician because otherwise he's going to call bullshit on them, right? Because he, he knows all the tricks. So we force him. He's trying to get out of this room. We block the door with bodies and we force him to sit while this magician does this P.S. Incredible magic act. He was right. It, <laughs> you were gonna say that. We're at the end of it. He makes us he, like he takes out a calculator. That he's doing all these sleight of hand tricks. Long story short, he gets to his his big finale. He's he makes us. He takes out a calculator. He's like, give me a number, and a hundred people just shout out a number, and then he's like, no, you. So he picks one person. The person they go through all this stuff with all the numbers and whatever. And at the end of it, he's like, is your number 822? And the person's like, no. And he's like, all right, well, that's my show. Sorry, guys, I messed it up. And I'm like, fuck, this magician wasn't good. And then as he turns around to leave, he opens his jacket and the fucking number's on his shirt. And it's like a six-digit number. Anyway, it was impressive as hell to me. But we look over to Larry, and Larry's like, he might as well be asleep. He's just like... visibly rolling his eyes. I'm like, Larry, the man, you were rolling your oh, eyes. No, and I was I like, Larry, was the sick. man hasn't even left. Like, we're no. trying to pay him. We're trying to tip him in cash. Like, to leave it. Oh, please, please. You hated it. It was great. We we loved it, though, because you looked thoroughly it. disgusted. Um, no. It was fantastic. Yeah, it was fantastic. But no, that wasn't even was... on the air. That was just the shit we used to do behind the scenes. Yeah, I know, no. I didn't, I didn't hate it. I was uncomfortable because of, you know, because he was not as good as you? <laughs> no, 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 no. He was very good. Oh, no, okay. because, you know, people are 
they're doing and you know you're the center of that i know that's true yeah so mission accomplished good yeah exactly yeah that was was fun it was awkward um so thank you robert you're welcome (laughs) what was your favorite what was your favorite moment on the show like what did you enjoy covering the most i know what it was what baltimore baltimore yeah that was kind of our i feel like we found our voice we did you know you did who's this we no, our, the show. We all did. Yeah. But it was from that decision to go down to Baltimore and talk to the gang, I remember. Can I tell a little bit about how yeah, that came go about? Yeah, go for it. Go, yeah. So, Freddie Gray, um, that atrocity happened in Baltimore. All of the, uh, what the news was covering as riots, what we would now call protests. I mean, a CVS was burned down, albeit. But, um... Uh, anyway, all that was going on and they were blaming right. gang members specifically and they kept saying the black gorilla gang, the black gorilla gang. Um, and the news was just really harping on this and really not focusing on the anguish and the hurt that the community was going through in Baltimore. So mm-hmm. we do the show and we cover it. And that night after taping, we all go back up to Larry's office and we have like a postmortem meeting and just kind of talk about the show. And Larry's like, I don't feel like this is enough. I want to go talk to these people who they're accusing of, you know, rioting and looting and whatever. I want to go talk to gang members in Baltimore. He was like, let's get on a train. You guys are like, are you crazy? Yeah, and everybody was like, I'm sorry, what? You want to go talk to gang members in Baltimore? He's like, yeah, let's get on a train. And you got on the train that night? Mm -hmm. That night. Mm -hmm. And our amazing producers found these incredible young men, and he sat and had pie with them in a diner. And it really, for me, what I loved about it is that it humanized um, what the media portrays as like brutal gang members, right? Like, mm-hmm. now listen, I'm not saying some of these men weren't without their criminal pasts, but at the end of the day, we're human beings and we have choices to make. And um, Larry's impact, uh, not only on the show, but but with those young men personally after that show uh, was ongoing and was really um, beautiful to watch. And it was just really cool. And I think we were able to humanize people who are demonized by the media time time and time again. So I think think, that was really special. Well, thanks, Robin. I remember that. One of the things... um, um, I remember just trying to talk to them just as regular guys. Correct. And one of them said he was interested in writing. So I said, really? So I'm like, oh, this is interesting. So we went down that road and he had, like, written a couple of things, you know, and I wanted to pull that out of him and Talk about something that wasn't gangish. Yeah. And know. that man was Mike Yard. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> and Robin, you dated uh, Scooby, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> no, just kidding. I wish. Uh, and no, then, no. then they became friends with Rory, and Rory's like, what? what just know, happened? They did call Rory all the time. Yeah. That yeah. was very funny. That was fun. Yeah. That was fun. So I think we're great that uh, hanging out with gangs was our favorite moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hanging out with uh, gangs. Yep. On the nightly show. Yep. Well, I mean, we listen, we had a lot of fun times. You sent me yeah. down to a slave plantation. That was fun. That you um, guys were fantastic. Yeah, that was Robin great. Robin and Mike Yard in a, at a slave plantation. Yeah, that was really fun. Turned bed yeah. and breakfast. Yes. We, got, we got we got haunted there, you guys. Oh, we never talked about that on the show. We totally got oh, haunted there. Talk about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so we get there. Long, I'll make this really short, but we no, get there. No, don't make it short. Oh, okay, it's really long. Tell the whole story. Yo, I fuck it. Um, it's a ghost. Yeah, yeah, it's a ghost story. So <laughs> there was a ghost. The end. Is that short <laughs> enough? Um, so we get there. So so we're going down, and our producer, uh, one of the producers, tells Mike and I. Um, the whole setup basically is that we're going down to a former slave plantation that's been turned into a wedding destination, that there's this whole thing about people now want to have weddings on slave plantations and they're dressing up in antebellum clothing Mm -hmm. and like having black people as servers and like, yes, it's a whole thing, (laughs) y'all. I think it was called Mar-a-Lago? Was that the name? (laughs) No, it's a joke. 
Very it's good. a joke. Very good. See, Very I good. am a comedian. Yeah, you did it. <laughs> and, Thanks, Robin. Uh, yeah. So we go down, and we're at this slave plantation, uh, this working hotel uh, that still has plantation in its name. It's on the Kentucky-Indiana so border, amazing, yeah. and it's literally a river, a river away. A small river separates what used to be slave mm-hmm. territory right. and free territory. And so in the piece, I remember saying, so that's how committed black people are to not swimming is that they would rather stay enslaved than swim 50 yards to freedom. Yeah. Uh, but so it's true. On, on the, it's true. And on the way, I wouldn't. Um, anyway, <laughs> on the way down there, one of the producers tells Mike and I, listen, there's a rumor that this place is haunted uh, <laughs> by ghosts of slaves who died there. Oh, my God. And I'm like, okay, you know, we'll see when we get there. You know, I don't know. But Mike is like, oh, fuck that. Fuck that. I am not trying to be down there with no ghosts. It's right. already a slave plantation. Right. I'm already going to no, feel some kind of way. No snakes on the plane. No, no, sa- no motherfucking snakes on the plane. No motherfucking <laughs> dead slave ghosts. Right. So, so, so we're on the way, but we're already on the way. Oh, she tells us, by the way, as we're literally on the way, like on the okay. plane. So, so we get down there and the first night, uh, half of the crew is staying in the main house and Mike and I are in the slave quarters. No, Wait. we're in the... Oh, <laughs> I was very concerned there for a second. We kind of were. We were in a separate building. It was really nice. It was the newer one, but we were in a separate building from the main house now that I think about it. Um, So we go to breakfast the next morning after the first night. We shoot some stuff the first night. um, And and we noticed something. One of our producers, Jake, is like, hey, did you guys see that? And we're like, what? And we look up on the second story. We're on the ground floor. We look up on the second story where you can see the balcony and a light just kind of goes. And we're like, Okay, that was weird, but maybe it was just a reflection or something. And then we're all downstairs and something crashes on the second floor. We're like, what was that? Everybody went upstairs, couldn't find anything that fell. Uh Nothing had fallen. So those two weird things happened the first day. Next morning, we go to breakfast with the crew and they're like, fuck that. We're not staying here. We're getting hotels. And we're like, what happened? And they were like, like basically two of the producers heard a woman laughing in their rooms and a cold rush of air. And you're like, you saw that in Massa House? <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Yes. And then, and, then, uh, and then the fire alarm started going off, but there was no fire. Or the smoke detectors kept going off, but there was no smoke detector. So that was at like... The smoke detector just spontaneously went off. Spontaneously went off. And when they opened the door and turned on the light, it all stopped. Right. Right. So this all happened at like, I, I don't remember the exact time, but say it was like 3.34 a.m., right? Because they remember looking at the clock. So the next night, me and Mike are like... By the way, ghost hours are horrible. They're terrible. Yeah. You, Graveyard shift, yes. literally. Horrible hours, by the way. Just very nice. Thank you. Um, and so... So next night, Mike and I are like, well, obviously we're not staying. And good thing we're not staying in the main house right. because in Massa House, well, we're not staying in Massa House, <laughs> and that the slave quarters are not haunted. So cut to, we go back upstairs to our rooms. His room is wide open, the door's wide open, and I saw him lock it. And no one has gone up there. Mike Yard's room. Mike Yard's room, uh-huh. and I'm like, fuck that. My room ain't haunted. Good night. And so he's like, I don't want to stay here. I want to leave. Like, he's just whining. Big baby about the whole thing. Uh-huh. And uh, justified. So I wake right. up at 3.34 in the morning. And I'm laying on my side. And I hear. <sighs> and I was like, fuck this. And I was like. In, you heard that in the bed with you. I heard it right here. Oh right behind my head. And then I heard it again. And I heard. 
And I was like, God damn it, it's a ghost. <laughs> and so, so I literally said out loud, I go, I'm going to turn on this fucking light and you are not going to be there. And I turn on the light and there's nobody there. The but I like, look at the clock and it's 3.34. Right. So I was like, fuck this. We got to get out of here. And at the same time that I'm making noise, Mike Yard's coming out of his room and he's like, we got to get out of here. Like, <laughs> so I was like, I'm telling you. So we stayed up and we all, we woke everybody up. Wait, do you up. think you scared the ghost into his room? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Is that maybe, possible? <laughs> maybe. Because right. his door would not, his door kept just opening and it was like, or maybe he was like, exhausted Rrr! coming from my we room. And that's why he was exhausted. <sighs> he was just catching his breath. Yeah. Maybe. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so we all stayed up and got in the car that next morning and left. We were done with the piece anyway, the field piece, which I thought was an apple nice. game. But, uh, but yeah, we, we got a good piece out of it, but we were definitely, we all believe in ghosts now. Very nice, Robin. Robin Thede and the ghost. <laughs> wow. I, did, I don't think I had heard the whole story. I just heard uh, you guys yeah, were scared. First and last time somebody was in bed breathing next to me. <laughs> That's a sad joke about my personal life. <laughs> it's all good for comedy. Uh, <laughs> one thing, Robin, which is exciting is that um, you've established yourself as a true voice on Twitter, that you have a lot of followers and you are hilarious. You Thank always you. have something to say about everything. If you guys don't follow Robin, please follow her. Yeah, what is your not? handle, Robin? Robin Thede, R O B I N T H E D E. There's an at in there somewhere. <laughs> I think in the beginning. Follow Robin. She's, she's hilarious. So let me give a couple of Robin Thede quotes here. Oh, God. Okay? And I just want you to respond to them. Because okay. all of these quotes to me, they all kind of encapsulate who you are. Oh, very good. Okay. In different ways. Are they okay? about Beyonce? I didn't find that. I know you have a lot of Beyonce quotes. No, I have but more anti-Trump ones. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. All right. Let's start with this one. This is, this is a good one. It's hard to defeat racism when racism reform depends on understanding of racism by racists. Yes. Mm. And I think the front of that tweet is say this five times fast. So you right. actually have to say it really quickly. That's it's hard right. to understand racism. Uh, what is it? Yeah, it's, it's yeah. hard to defeat racism when racism reform depends on understanding of racism by racists. It's more effective when you do it that fast. All right. Yeah. I forgot that part. Say it five yeah. times fast. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, it's true. So what though, is behind right? that? What's behind that is that basically like there's this there's this snake eating its own tail of understanding of racism. Right. Like we're trying we're desperately fighting uh, hashtag resist hashtag allies hashtag Black Lives Matter hashtag. Women's March, hashtag everything, right? We're violently and, 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 and vehemently and energetically trying to defeat racism and sexism and bigotry when it's like the only people that can defeat that are the bigots themselves, are the racists themselves, and they don't understand that they're racist. They don't think they're racist. And, and even we, we, it's in a way, I'm not going to say the, the effort is, is useless because I don't think it is because I do think that some people change their minds when you enlighten them with facts. Um, but I think that when you come at them with like raw emotion, mm -hmm. it just makes them more emboldened, right? Because they're already so dug in their beliefs and it's always emotional anyway. It's never mm -hmm. based in fact. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and so I think that tweet is more about the frustration that I feel comedically uh, uh, in, in trying to convince racists that they're racist and to change their racism. Right. Got it. Very nice. Here's another one. Uh, I'm sorry if you felt that way is always spoken in the most disgusting tone of voice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's true, right? Okay, Explain. I'm sorry if you felt that way. You know, somebody just comes to you and they're like, you really hurt me. Well, I'm sorry if you felt that way. <laughs> what? <laughs> Fuck you! <laughs> I mean, like, like, I had to apologize to somebody very recently, and I said, um, you know, I started to say, you know, that wasn't my intention, and I go, nope, that's not the way you apologize. You just apologize. 
You just say, you know what? I'm sorry. And you don't say, I'm sorry if that hurt you. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry if you felt that way. You just say, you're sorry. Yeah. And it's so hard for people to do. You know, I think they don't it's understand really... what the sorry represents. Correct. Right. If you have a hundred percent on a hundred percent pure sorry, I you would have to be heartless to not hear that from somebody. I mean, depending on what they did, you know, yeah. you slap my mama, ain't no apology gonna get you out of that. <laughs> but but you know what I mean. And it's just like it just I it was something I just actually saw on TV. Somebody was like, I'm sorry if you felt that way. Oh, I know why. I've been watching Catfish. I've been binging Catfish. <laughs> I don't know Catfish. What? You don't know Catfish? Yes, you do. It's the story. It's the show on MTV that was made after the documentary with Neve. And basically, they go and they find people online who were lying about who they were. Remember Manti Teo? Yeah. That was Catfishing. Oh, okay. So it's a whole got, TV oh, show. Okay, got it, right. got it, got it, got it. So anyway, I've been watching it from the beginning, binging from season one through season five. Season one was a little transphobic, <laughs> by the way, in case anybody didn't notice. Yeah. But, um, but it, they've gotten much better. But, uh, but I've been watching it and people will literally go, I mean, I was just having fun. I mean, I'm sorry if you felt that way. So anyway, that made me think about it. Very good, but it's Robin. true. I think we need real apologies in this world. It's I a one agree. last bastion of I agree. dignity. Um, right. Like if the government apologized for slavery. Well, I'm sorry if you felt that way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's not how you apologize That's for slavery. That's not how you apologize for slavery. Remember when everybody thought Obama was going to apologize for slavery? Oh, yeah. They were like, why doesn't he apologize for slavery? <laughs> and I was like, you have this so backwards. Yeah, I know. What, what would that be like? Oh, God. Um, um, maybe I, they wanted his white side to apologize. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. His maybe. white side could apologize to his black side. Right. Yeah. But then it's just all a wash. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, there aren't nearly enough therapists for the amount of therapy we all need to therapize in therapy right now. Therapy. Hashtag, hashtag therapy. therapy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just wanted that, to hit that one home. That is how your mind. That, that is, is how my definitely mind works. how your mind works. That okay, is please, definitely how please, my mind works. Please explain that one. Yeah. We just all need therapy right now. Like, don't <laughs> run from it. We need it. Why not? Yeah. Talk it out. I think too many people like live in their own heads and too many people like drive themselves crazy. I also tweeted, I don't know if this is in the list, but I tweeted, if somebody could just pick out my outfit for me and impeach the president, oh, yeah, my mornings would one. be. <laughs> that was the next one, actually. That was the next it's one. It's kind of a follow up to that one. Okay, yeah. read that one. Read oh, yeah. If someone could pick out my outfit for me and also impeach the president, my mornings would be a lot easier, right? Yeah, that's great. It's like, that's why we need therapy, because I'm equally stressed about both in the morning. And it's, it's, yeah. it's getting to me. Yeah, oh, I, I, love, I never yeah. knew those were married together as, yeah. as a thing. Yeah, totally. Right. I told you, nothing. See, in my mind, everything is, everything is in the land of extremes, right? So as much as I'm stressed about that's Trump true. is as much right. as I'm stressed about yeah. why Kim Kardashian was painted as Coretta Scott King on the cover of Interview Magazine two weeks ago. Did you see that? I did not. She was no. in, I don't want to call it blackface, uh -huh. but like beige face. Uh -huh. Yeah. And her child was looking up at her like, mommy, uh -huh. or, or black lady, who are you? Car was it like caramel face? Yeah, it was. It was. Uh -huh. And it was on the 54th, I think 54th anniversary of the I Have a Dream speech. So uh -huh. I thought that was telling also. Oh, People, somebody right. goes, oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It had nothing to do with it. She was trying to look like Jackie O, but I was just confused by her color, as I am often. Now, if you know Robin, you will completely understand this. Oh, okay? God. Not getting french fries when you, all caps, really want french fries is prop more difficult than space travel and i mastered that so i'm an astronaut now yes that's how i make those connections that yeah somehow makes no sense and makes complete no, sense that makes perfect time. sense please explain that to me i have met when i really want you know when you want french fries it's like drugs like when you really want french fries mm -hmm. you really want french for me anyway maybe okay. i'm addicted to french right. fries I ain't mad at you. so 
So I have mastered not getting French fries when I you biologically not getting French correct fries. when I okay. biologically am craving and needing French fries. Mm-hmm. So that's probably like as hard as space travel. So thereby I am an astronaut now. No, it makes perfect sense. It's an algebraic equation. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. That's how my mind works. That's how it works. Okay. All right. This is the last one. Okay. This is my favorite though. Oh God. Uh, they just paged Dick Wednesday at the airport. And I think we can all agree that is a stellar replacement name for Hump Day. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Dick, hashtag Dick Wednesday. Hashtag Dick Wednesday. You know what's funny about that? So somebody told me, somebody, and I don't know if this is true. Has anyone here ever worked in aviation or in an airport? Anybody? No? Mm-hmm. Damn it. I was hoping you could, you could corroborate this, what this guy said. He goes, mm-hmm. actually, that's code for there's a problem in the airport. Dick Wednesday. Really? I, I was hoping somebody could tell me if that was true or not. not but like he, see, Mike. he goes, I don't mean to scare you, but that's actually code for something is wrong. I hope you're really? okay. And I didn't Google it because who has the time? But um, <laughs> I don't know if that's actually true. I meant to Google that. Yeah. So I don't know. But the airport was fine. So but then, you, you weren't alarmed when you heard Dick Wednesday. At least. No, I was excited. <laughs> Dick Wednesday, where's he? <laughs> where's he flying? Where's he going? He's right, he's right over there next to Balls Thursday. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah scrotum fridays it was good yeah. i was i was uh i was intrigued i just i really mm-hmm. was hoping they were coming to my counter i was like looking to see if he was coming to my counter mm-hmm. to just see what dick wednesday Let's looked see what like. He looked like yeah 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 like was he like a detective right or was he like a porn star right does he lean to the right or the left you know yeah. what now you took it too far <laughs> um well i think we all can agree that robin Thede is a national treasure how about a nice round of applause thank you for Robin Thede, the rundown on BET coming. What is the date, Robin? Thursday, October 12th. We'll be on Thursdays at 11. Thursday, so find October us. Thank you. What we'd like to do now, guys, um, since we have an audience, I thought it'd be fun to have a little Q&A. So if people have questions they won't have for either me or Robin, we have a microphone here. And uh, we welcome you to come on up to the microphone. or Don't be shy. Don't know, or just yell it. Yeah, microphone will help you get uh, heard on the podcast. Anything you want to ask? Anything you want to ask about the podcast or about? Hey, people at the microphone. People are lining up. Okay, there you go. Hey, um, uh, I just want to tell you how much I missed your show and how happy I was when you came back on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. I miss you too. We all just need somebody who really cares about what's going on right now, and I really appreciate that from you. And and when you were on Bill Maher and you took down Milo Yiannopoulos. Did you, did you plan that in advance, or was it just that he said too much and you're like, go fuck yourself? It was the best. Yes. It was the best. That part. Well, or did you know he'd go too far? Well, what's interesting to me is that, I don't know if you saw Milo Yiannopoulos. He was a, an alt-right provocateur, I guess you could call him. That's big nice. T- <laughs> so he's on Bill Maher. Bill, you know, is a... He's being a proponent for free speech and wanted Milo on his show for his own reasons. And, and so I'm there sitting with Malcolm Nance, his two brothers there. And Malcolm's like one of the smartest brothers around, especially about intelligence and that kind of stuff in government. You know, and I'm a comedian, right? So if you're going to fuck with us, you got to come. <laughs> you got to come with something, right? You know? But he's just insulting us right to our face, you know? And I'm thinking at that moment, I'm a grown-ass man. Who is this... Who the fuck are you talking to? Yes, exactly, you know. So I said, motherfucker, go fuck yourself, you know. (laughs) That's where I was coming from, even more than a political point of view. But it was also the that point of view, too, where I think in that moment, I couldn't believe 
how much, even as a gay man, he was doubling down on the type of bigotry and hatred that was used towards gays to use that against transgender people. I thought was despicable in that moment. That's the thing that was really like making me sick when he was when he was saying that. So thank you for that. Well, thank you. Yo, you're welcome. Yeah. I could tell that was a real moment. It was. Yeah. 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 Not planned. <laughs> no, not at no. all. No. I couldn't plan that. Yes. Hi, Larry. Robin, I, I was a devoted oh. nightly show watcher. I miss it a lot. Oh, I'm thanks. so glad, Robin, that you're going to have your own program now. Thank I look you. forward to it. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to push back on something that Larry said at the top of the show. Yes. I'm a community- push back, man. Push back. Uh-oh. <laughs> Not too aggressively, but uh, I'm a community journalist on the east end of Long Island. So as somebody that went to school for journalism and does this professionally, Great. I was concerned about it. Good for you. Your definition of fake news that you provided, mm-hmm. uh, that was... Did I just get cut up? See what happens? See what happens when you push back? Did- you get cut off. This is how they do it. <laughs> uh, now we're back. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was Trump's definition. I remember the early weeks when everybody started saying fake news and it right. was all the BS that you saw on Facebook, the things yes. people shared. And I would say to people, hey, if you go on that site, there's a disclaimer that says this site is not to be taken seriously. Right. It's all made up. And they'd be like, no, I still think it's true. I call that false news. Right. But right. fake news was the right term for it. Trump co-opted that to me. No, I understand. But why, I'm, why I'm, let him co-opt it? That's no, what I wanted to push back on you on. The reason why I'm dealing with the definition as it exists right now so we can bat it away, so we can make distinctions. Mine is not to have the most accurate de- definition, but to give us tools to make clear distinctions and to have clarity around it. Okay? So that's why I make the distinction between what's fake news and what's false news, what's just false, and what's disinformation, information put out there on purpose to create lies, and what the political definition of something that is used, you know, for, for basically just opinion, you know, and just to have tools around that. But I, I, don't, I don't disagree with you on that sort of thing. I'm just framing it in a different way so we can deal with it in another way. That's all. Also, I don't think Trump would acknowledge that he has bias. Right. We know that he has bias. and That's, that's my why, observation of it. Right, right, right. But that's why I think you're not really agreeing with Trump's definition of fake news. I don't agree with anything right. Trump right. does. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm observing it, right. yes. Um, but it is a battle thank you so much though too keep the fight and by the way um, I want to give you a second thank you because guys like a lot of people they look at comedians and say they look for them for the news and everything and I say no look to journalists journalists. no thank you for what you do guys the fourth estate is very important in this country we need people delivering us the truth and the news so thank you for what you do I appreciate that thanks yes uh, thank you guys so much for doing the show, and um, I just wanted to ask, in the last couple of weeks, you've had a lot of political guests, like John Favreau and um, The Young Turk, um, so, but uh, I was wondering, I, I um, in, in the Queens County Young Democrats, and there's a lot of uh, division right now mm-hmm. between progressives and more establishment Democrats, yeah. it's gotten really, really toxic, yeah. and, you know, I try and listen to kind of both sides and see things from that, and... Mm-hmm. But sometimes I do feel like there is, you know, certain people in the media are making it harder for those mm-hmm. two groups to get along. Yeah. Um, so what do you kind of recommend from, like, media consumption? And what do you think mm-hmm. will really help the Democratic Party going forward to unite instead of really hate each other? I don't find... <laughs> That's a great question. Um, I don't think all hate is not useful. <laughs> no, that's an odd sentence, you know. But, um, like, I hate the Celtics, and it's very useful for me, you know. <laughs> I hate it. It's very useful, you know. No, I'm being facetious. 
Many times, political parties have to work it out and hash it out. The Republican Party goes through this all the time. Democratic Party goes through it all the time. You have, sometimes you do this type of fighting to get clarity and purpose about your direction. And a lot of times, through that type of fighting, emerges your new leaders or your new leadership. What's really happening now is there's an old guard that, unfortunately, is going away. And you need new youthful voices who represent the people now and for the future who are coming up. And that's what's really happening. You, yeah. That's what the fight is really about. I mean, think about when the Tea Party mm-hmm. started dividing the Republicans, and yeah. then we got Trump. Oh, that wasn't a good example. <laughs> <laughs> but there, there actually are a lot of young Republicans on deck. Absolutely. You know, yeah, all absolutely. around the country in different jurisdictions and everything. And, and the, Republicans of color and female Republicans, and, and disabled. They, and all, yeah, so they it's did like, it on purpose, though. Yeah, of course. The, when they lost to Obama, they took it upon themselves to have these meetings, I think it started at CPAC, I think, where they would have these forensics about what's going on with the party and all that stuff, and they were pretty honest with themselves, and they're bringing up a lot of different, you're right, a lot of different diverse voices. I don't know if the Democrats are doing that, you know, and they really need to make an effort to do that. You just have to do that. (laughs) Yeah, Democrats Democrats are are lame, yeah. (laughs) But I think think Democrats are ineffective right now, and that's, I mean, that's just a fact. So, so you know, I think these rifts have to happen so that things can be rebuilt, but I think the Democrats also have to stop becoming, I mean, you guys talked about it last week with the Young Turks, and, like, um, I don't agree with everything that they say, but I do think that it is smart that the, you know, politics in general has just become such a big business Mm -hmm. that people get left out, and that's really happened on the left. And uh, wherever people feel more heard is where they're going to vote. Yeah, I think that's why... Regardless Bern- of the bigoted rhetoric coming out yes. of people's mouths. I think that is why Bernie, who's not a Democrat, really connected with a lot of people because they felt like he was speaking directly Absolutely. to their issues, whether you agree with him or not or felt he could have been effective. That simplicity of... And the same with Trump on the other side, where people felt he was being listened to. Trump beat a lot of establishment Republicans. And his fight right now, he's in a, he's in a brawl and a fist fight with establishment Republicans. I mean, it's amazing to me what just happened this past week. The look of the sad turtle of Mitch McConnell's face, right? It was fascinating, you guys. Like, I'm torn. Like, I'm like, I hate Trump, but I kind of root for this kind of thing. I like seeing the Republicans sad like that with the Republican president. You know, I mean, that's fucked up. I shouldn't say it, but yes. Thank you so, very much. I hope that answered your question. Yes, thank you. I don't remember his question. We probably didn't answer it. No oh, yes, we did. Yes, we did. <laughs> yes. Um, thank you for doing this. It's awesome to hear your My voice pleasure. and see your face. Um, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Larry looks like? <laughs> oh, they forget. Well, yeah, mi- they forget. <laughs> I've missed seeing it. But um, my question is about the article that Ta-Nehisi Coates wrote in The Atlantic, mm-hmm. um, the first white president. Which I believe we talked about first you know the un- I, yeah so that's what i was gonna say is like the unblackening was kind of the unblackening saying yes, that um, so i'm curious if and i did it, last year say was... that white people voted for trump like he was the first white president yes. <laughs> i remember after <laughs> after the, the first polls. black one right but anyhow besides taking credit what were you yeah so i was just gonna ask if you've read it what your like takeaway from it is and what you think people should be taking away from it as someone who's spoken about that um that i before. haven't I haven't read it in detail. I read a little bit of it. It's Have you the read same it? stuff we said on the night. Yeah. I mean, I mean, no, no hate, no yes. hate. But I mean, it's 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 in the line with all the things that we have been saying. I mean, I feel like yeah. at the end of the day, like, uh, well, actually, do you want to share your theory about? I asked you. You don't have to share it, but mm-hmm. I asked you what you think how long Trump's tenure will be. I thought he's going to get reelected. Yeah, that's what I said. So Larry told us. But I hate being right about. That. In October of 2015, mm-hmm. that Trump would become president. And we were like, fuck you, you're wrong. 
and we watched it happen and we watched it happen. He saw it. He saw it. So well, to me, I think you understand a lot of the I mean, you'll have to read the article to give your opinion, but I think you'll understand a lot of it. I think what his article basically is about, if if I can sum it up, is that Trump really ran against Obama, not against Hillary, right. which is what I was saying. And um, and he started that run with his campaign about delegitimizing Obama and saying he wasn't legitimate and all that stuff. And the energy behind that, I wrote an article for The New Yorker about this. It's fantastic, yeah. by the way. You guys um, should definitely look it up. That was, uh, all that energy to me started his campaign. And it metastasized itself in that first debate when he got that huge applause and laugh line, basically demeaning women in his response about yep. Rosie O'Donnell. And I'm like, you have to be fucking kidding me. Right. You know, and the only thing, the people were so happy that he was authentic. Yes, but he was an authentic asshole. It's like, there are two things happening here. Yeah. Yes, and he it, spoke his mind as an ass. Yeah. But, his, but the his, energy behind he was not punished for it, and that worried me a lot. Right. He was rewarded for it. And he is building yeah. a legacy by erasing, trying to erase Obama's. That's what he's, that's what he's essentially building. Yeah, his. I think he's promoting Trump more than even that, you know, is his biggest. Well, then why does he always name check Obama? He doesn't even he's do petty. it. he's yeah, petty. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Narcissistic sociopath. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Hey, guys, thanks for the show. I thought this was really great. Thanks for leaning over to speak in the mic. I appreciate it. I don't want to try to adjust this. I don't want to fuck it up. Um, So I saw, Larry, specifically your interview on the Jesus and Mirror show on Viceland. I was just wondering if you had any opinions on, like, these new wave talk shows and late night talk shows and what they're doing for um, discussions about politics and otherwise. Yeah. I think the best one hasn't come on yet. It's the rundown with Robin (laughs) Um, Thiebaud. My personal opinion. Just like we're talking about Democratic Party, I think it's the same thing in comedy and all that stuff. I love seeing young voices. That we're all going to be infighting? <laughs> no. But, you know, seeing new voices come to the core and, because they'll talk about things in different ways so you could get different insight about things. But I love those guys. They're, they're really fun. We talked to Jesus yeah. about coming on our oh show. Oh, my God. Yeah, we almost hired Jesus. Yeah, we almost hired him, yeah. To work, but Boy, to we work in our up. in our web <laughs> in the web department or whatever. I know. We, you know, honestly, it was we, just, we just we didn't him. have a role for him. We but just wanted we him to him. hang in the office. Yeah, we just wanted right? him to hang out. And he did. It was great. Yeah, but thank you. Thank you very thank much. You. Yay! Hi. Hello. Um, Want to thank you so much both for the nightly show. I miss it a lot and um, yeah. love your podcast. Oh, thank you. Um, You're on it right now. I feel like you've become. Well, I don't know whether become, but you're such an adept interviewer. Oh, thank you. Um, and I love kind of the range of topics and the people that you interview. It feels like you always are able to relate to them really well. And I'm mm-hmm. wondering what you do to prepare for interviews right. and how much, you know, putting yourself in somebody else's shoes or be able to see things from sure. their perspective, how important that is. Oh, great question. Um, what I try to do, I try to frame it not so much as an interview, but a conversation. So mm-hmm. if I were in a diner with somebody, you know, you know, how would I start that conversation? What do I need to know about them where I can find common ground? I love finding the thing that, it, that I'm really interested in about them and try to drive the conversation maybe around that and find common ground. I don't set it up as a way to, let's say, create conflict or to be confrontational mm-hmm. as you would maybe in a, in a political interview or a journalistic interview. I find it, I want to do, what I'm trying to do is bring the person out and present them to us in a way that maybe we haven't seen them. Mm-hmm. So it's, I create kind of a friendly atmosphere is what I'm trying to do. Right. And sometimes I get criticized for it too. It's like, how come you didn't challenge blah, blah, blah. I said, well, I want to hear who they are. You know, I'm not there so much to challenge someone. I mean, I can and will, but 
I want us to just hear them an unfettered kind of view of who the person is. And, and I'm going to try to have more diverse voices on, too. And I haven't had any voices from the right yet, but I definitely want to get some on and get some people on and that kind of thing. But we have some good people coming up. Uh, Cecile Richards I'm going to talk to uh, in a couple great. of weeks yeah. at the Texas Tribune Festival, and that's a live podcast, and I'm really looking forward to that. And uh, so thank you. Thank you very much. Very nice. All right. Got time for a couple more? If these two people would leave first before we ask the next question. <laughs> um, thanks, guys. You're really starting to piss me off. And, uh, they were just getting on my nerves. Yeah, I, no, I could see it. They were I just getting on my yeah, nerves. Yeah, they were just yeah. sitting they just, there. They just had to go. They had to leave. Yeah. Robin knows what I'm talking about. Yep. Okay, yes. Hi. Uh, so first, thank you for what everyone else was thanking you for. <laughs> no, I, the show, I just that. don't want to be repetitive. Yeah. Um, but anyway. Um, hmm? Oh, no, I said thank you. Oh, yeah. you're welcome. Oh, now it's awkward as shit. No, Jesus. it's great. I'm always awkward Start as Start over without the thanking. Okay. Let's cut this part. Hey, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I thought... it goes in the editing booth, let's edit that shit. I know, I did. I turned yeah. into my producer mode. I'm like, I'm sorry, can we take that again? Okay, let's take out the... Go ahead. Anyway, um, so I was um, interested in Robin's tweet that Larry read about, um, you know, making racists understand racism. Mm-hmm. And I do think a lot of the action that's been happening right now has helped like engage and motivate people who might otherwise be complicit, but like lean left. Um, but I was wondering like, what do we do? Like, how do we make a difference? I, it's, I feel like such a loss, you know, how to okay. do that. So when you say we, who do you mean? Oh, um, cause I have different advice for different races, different genders and different economic status. Okay. Oh um, I'm broken it down. Robert. <laughs> I have actionable steps. Sure. Who are you speaking as? Well, um, I mean, I am a white woman. Okay. um, (laughs) I know, crazy. Um, I don't assume anything. You tell me how you identify, and that's how I accept you. Sure. But, yeah, but I guess. um, But I'm a black woman trapped inside. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think, look, I think if we're talking about for um, white women in particular, I think that there are a number of things that can be done, right? So, but I think for white people in general, it's about holding your family accountable. It's about holding your friends accountable. It's about when somebody makes a racist ass joke in your all white office or your all white party that you stand up and say, that's bullshit. Mm -hmm. And it's simple things like that that start to erode at the acceptance. Because the thing is, we get we get ingrained in society with just accepting things that are okay. Classic, classic example. I got in trouble on Twitter for this one. Um, and ugh, I had, okay, long story. Anyway, um, do you remember the Oscars when Jimmy Kimmel brought out the people from the tour bus? Yes, that was very awkward. Yeah. Thank you for groaning. Um, I also, that night, uh, Mahershala Ali was the butt of many jokes because his name was hard to pronounce. That kind of comedy, God love Jimmy Kimmel, he's a pro at what he does. But I think that kind of comedy um, is, is old hat and is outdated. And I think when you're making fun of ethnic names and you're making fun of black people in gym shorts and dragging them in front of a bunch of rich celebrities, regardless of their race, you're inherently punching down. And so I think, and we, and we solidified those kind of stereotypes, right? And those kind of bigoted ideas. So I think we have to start at a very basic level, which is that social interaction. And it's saying what is okay and what's not. And it's not being the annoying friend and being the super PC friend. It's just saying like, hey, that's not cool. That's it. 
And you don't have to, that's, it's like simple stuff like that. I get it if you don't want to be at the front lines of a Black Lives Matter rally, although know that you're welcome. <laughs> um, but, but I get that if that's a big leap for people. It really starts at the basic social level because if people don't understand each other and continue to believe that they're less than, that there are people who are less than and who are other, then we'll never get to where we need to be. Thank you. Very well. Great, Robin. I look forward to the day uh, when we're all equal, when we all have the right to be an asshole. That's what I look yes, forward to. Correct. Yes, correct. It's hard to follow that. Uh, I'm a, a journalism professor. and uh, Where at? CUNY. Excellent. City University of New York. Nice. And I want to teach a course in comedy as a tool of journalism because comedy does what journalism should, which is called oh. bullshit. <laughs> so if I were lucky enough to, uh, to teach that course and if I were lucky enough to get you to come uh, teach the class, what would you teach journalists? What was the question? I'm sorry. What would you teach journalists as a comedian? What would I say for, teach first? What would you teach journalists? What are the um, skills of comedy that you should bring to journalism and calling bullshit and how to do it well and how to convince people? And I think I have to go back to my original statement. I don't think they have to be related. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think I have anything to teach journalists. Um, unless a journalist wants to be a comedian or wants to be funny. But I don't, like if anything, the tools that we use, people like me or John Oliver or Stuart, we borrowed those from journalists. I think not the other way around, really. Um, so, did, did journalists forget them? Well, that's a different question. I do think, I think a lot of news organizations and technology also, look, technology unfortunately has destroyed a lot of newspapers. I love newspapers, and a lot of news organizations have lost their infrastructure, especially at the local level. It's been one of the horrible things in journalism. But I think television news is at the root of some of the problem, too. Like I was saying, CNN is an entertainment (laughs) network and all that kind of stuff, you know, and it gets all jumbled in there. But I don't want to make news more entertainment. That is what I'm saying, (laughs) you know. I I think something you always taught me with comedy, and this isn't a lesson maybe with to journalists, I mean, journalists, yes. I think we're always kind of like, stop mm-hmm. making jokes, you know, whoever. Mm-hmm. Stop making jokes, just do the news. But um, I think the lesson that you always taught me with comedy that makes good comedy better is to root it in history and root it to current parallels in news and root it to things that people can really relate to. Just make it relatable so people feel smart when they're hearing the jokes. Yeah, I would say, as a storyteller, I would say tell a story, you know. Just be rooted to tell it. tell us the story, whatever it is. And journalism has their ways of telling story. As someone who writes stories, we have our ways. Some of them are, are related. But I think when it gets into the area of jokes, it's different. But telling good stories, to me, is what journalism, journalism is all about. And the best journalism, when you go back to the best people, even if they're reporting on something, they're telling us a compelling story. And that I would stick with that. Thank you very much. We have time for one more. Okay. One more, Robin. Oh, my God, one more. Is it? All right, thank you both, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Thank Everything. You. This is the polite. Party at the slave plantation See, afterwards. Haunted slave plantation party. They took plantation out of their name. I it's an after there. after party. Yeah. After <laughs> afterlife party. <laughs> yeah. I just like making yeah. Robin laugh like that. Okay, good. So ahead. so this is a question more about art, entertainment, and yeah. culture. Because sometimes I think that's the real way to change people's mind is through art and entertainment. How do we get more insecures? Because <laughs> Oh, thank you very much. Because that's what I'm looking for more of in my life. Um, very flattering. I love Insecure. I think we need more. Very co-created Insecure with yes. Lisa Ray co-created for Insecure. HBO. Um, I was inspired by people like Keenan Ivory Wayans, who 
you know, kind of bust down the door of being a black creator, black showrunner, bringing diverse voices to television. And I just like doing that, you know. But we need more people who are making those decisions at networks, who are behind the scenes, positions of power, people who are creators, writers, and just people just from all areas of life, you know. Um, I'm... Yeah, so just look for it in all ways, you know. That's how we can do it. Robin, anything? Yeah, I think I think we're entering a new age, right? Like, yeah, I, think I think there's so. a lot of good movement happening. I think that, um, you know, Monique, Whoopi, and Wanda are the only black women who have ever had late-night shows. I'll be the fourth. And mm -hmm. I think that Issa uh, definitely is the first black woman to lead a premium cable comedy. Yeah. Um, and, and, like, the more we have these firsts, the more we can have seconds, the more we can have thirds. Um, um, Girls Trip is the highest-grossing comedy, not the highest-grossing black comedy, not the highest-grossing female comedy it's the highest grossing comedy of the entire year and it's already getting a sequel so i think the more that the more that we support these shows and the more that we actually watch them and not just say we do that um that they'll keep coming because at the end of the day money is the only thing that speaks to these networks and to the studios so i think we just have to support them we have to show up with our views and show up with our dollars the rundown with robin Thede, october october 12th you guys robin thank you so much for being my thank guest you, Larry. Now hear this. Thanks, everybody, for coming. Black on the air.